In this series, Ireland's Changing Nature, I've been exploring how wild nature has been changing over time in Ireland and the extraordinary animals who were once at home here. Funny enough, brown bear is probably the most common species of animal found throughout time in Ireland. And how our beliefs moulded our relationship with the land. The land itself was a sacred thing and was seen to embody the goddess of the land. We've seen how successive waves of cultural change have brought about the taming of wild nature, where we no longer leave room for many wild plants and animals. The level of pollution in our rivers, I mean, it really is heartbreaking. And so I wonder, is it that people don't know? In the third and final episode of Ireland's Changing Nature, I'll be exploring how we might turn things around to witness restoration instead of destruction and find hope for the future of nature in Ireland. It's not just about bringing wild nature back to a landscape, it's bringing ourselves back to wild nature and re-knitting these connections that we've lost. Episode 3, Wilding. I've always been in love with nature, intrigued by all the wildlife in the Wicklow Hills where I grew up. I studied environmental science in college. I've spent so much of my life exploring the intricacies of Ireland's wild nature. But every time I discover a new place, a new habitat, embarking with a sense of adventure and excitement. I always seem to find signatures of damage, of destruction, of loss. I walk through a woodland where those with me think it's great and all I can see is how badly overgrazed it is, how whole layers of life are missing and the new saplings, the next generation of trees, aren't managing to take hold because they're being nibbled away by sheep or goats or deer. But most people don't see this. In this episode, I want to explore how we might heal the divide, reconnect with nature for the sake of the planet and for ourselves. We still have an amazing range of habitats in Ireland. This is Porig Fogarty, an ecologist with the Irish Wildlife Trust, author of the book Whittled Away. We still have remnants of our original native Irish oak woodlands, which are absolutely magical places. We have some pretty wild coastline. We have, you know, amazing sand dune systems, particularly in, in the west of Ireland. We have some amazing stretches of river that are still clean and, and still have salmon and trout spawning in them. We definitely don't want to give the message that all is lost. We still have an awful lot that's worth saving. And that's what's so important, I suppose, for our generation, that we really have to fight to save it before it really is gone. Natural ecosystems are interdependent webs of life. If one element is depleted, everything begins to unravel. There are mycorrhizal networks in the soil which help trees to nurture each other and make them resilient to droughts and pests. So new plantations which don't have these mycorrhizal networks are unlikely to ever thrive. 
We have 100 species of wild bees in Ireland which pollinate wild plants, which in turn sustain songbirds, mammals and more. Without the bees, whole ecosystems would collapse. And while Ireland has always been celebrated for its stunning landscapes and generous nature, we are now seeing species we know and love vanishing before our eyes. About 120 species of plant and animal have gone extinct in Ireland from human activities uh, since people arrived. And we know from scientific studies that about a third of everything that's here is threatened with extinction or near threatened. So we have to try and bring all those species back. A lot of people have heard about the corncrake, a common farmland bird that's now on the brink of extinction in Ireland. But it's only one example. It's not just corncrakes, it's not just birds, it's not just farmland animals. It's uh, sharks at sea. Sharks are one of the most endangered groups. It's bees, it's butterflies, it's dragonflies, it's plants, it's mosses. It's every single group of plants and animals that we look at. There is no question that we are losing nature at an unprecedented rate. And there are so many different ways in which we are unravelling the web of life. It's not just cars or heavy industry. We're destroying whole webs of aquatic life by clearing and dredging river channels, by letting nutrient pollution seep into lakes, by draining boglands and burning the uplands, bulldozing farmland habitats to comply with agricultural regulations, overfishing once bountiful oceans. We're at a critical juncture in human history because of these twin uh, impacts of extinction and uh, climate collapse. So what, how are we actually going to change that relationship with nature so that we can turn things around? There is a feedback loop at play here. The more we lose diversity, beauty and bounty in the nature that surrounds us, the less engaged we become. And the less we realize what we're losing, the less we seem to care. You know, we all need to accept and recognize that there is a sense of urgency about what needs to happen. And it is each and every one of us. This is Ella McSweeney, broadcaster on food, farming and nature. We must surely agree on the fact that a wild renaissance is needed. A sense that any decisions that are taken need to include the idea that we share this island with other species. We do not own this island. We aren't the dominant species. We must switch our thinking to the idea that we are here sharing with other species and they have every right to live here in the way they want to as much as we do and as much as we expect for ourselves. Um, Fundamentally, we need to ask ourselves, what is it that we value and what are the standards we want to live to? We need to raise our standards and um, respect the kind of values in order to make sure that for future generations, the legacy we leave is not one of missing species and silence and no life, but one of abundance and noise an interest and fascination, and one where it is easy to fall in love with nature because there is so much nature around us. If we have any chance of turning things around, 
a fundamental cultural change is needed. But do we know how we could actually make this happen? I'm going to start with farming because we know that for thousands of years people here have had a strong connection with the land through food and farming. If you speak to a lot of farmers, they are aware that they're being pulled away from the more traditional farming practices that have worked for so many generations on their land and have provided both for their families but also provided the kind of important ecological balance. Farming has gone on in Ireland for thousands and thousands of years and we have not had as a result of that ecological collapse or biodiversity crisis or climate crisis. You know, these farmers, the, these traditional ways of farming are intrinsically part of the way in which the land in Ireland was, was nourished and used. Good girls. Good girls. Good girls. Come on. Come on. Come on. This is Gerard Walsh, a farmer in County Galway, who farms with nature very much in mind. They're all here, enjoying the sunshine. You can see the flies on their back there, so it all kind of uh, is an indication of environmental health, you know. walking along a little laneway here. It's part of the farm. The cattle have access to this. Um, you know, you can see all the kind of sorrel and pig nut as we're looking. There's a, some John's work there on the side there now and the cock bits, the different flowers that grow along naturally, the knapweed. Um, all these kind of thistle there. Um, Self-heal. All the different flowers that kind of grow naturally along a little boring like this. Gerard has an intrinsic sense of connection to the land he farms and all the species that he shares the land with. This area has been grazed since I was a child. It overlooks a lake called Ballycork Lake, but you can't see the lake from, its, from the hill anymore of it. But it is the most biodiverse piece of ground on the whole of the farm. I wouldn't touch any of this area with any type of fertiliser or anything. I just let it go natural, let the cows graze it out as much as possible. Good girls. Good girls. In this area when I was a child, lapwing bread. I would have remembered the characteristic call of what my father would have called the, the Philippine is the Irish name for lapwing. Um, they're like curlew, one of the species, wading bird species, which is in decline in Ireland. But this area, um, last year I, did, I saw my first marsh fritillary butterfly on the farm. It's full of uh, devil bit scabies, the, the species that the caterpillar from the, de from the marsh fritillary fertility butterfly um, lives on after the butterfly hat, uh, lays its eggs. So this area is full of devil bit scabies. So I was delighted to see a species like marsh fertility here on the farm. It is the only protected butterfly species here in Ireland. It's so nice to see all this wildlife in an area. Gerard is curious, he's knowledgeable, and he's deeply aware of the changes happening all around his farm. Seasonal changes, generational changes, and historic changes. He laments how agriculture in Ireland is turning towards an increasingly industrialized approach. 
I, I do believe, yeah, that we're part of nature. And a lot of it is understanding the, 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 what the impact we have on nature. We have, through the, the use of chemicals and uh, uh, mechanised machinery, been able to change the landscape and change the nature of our relationship with the landscape very fast in the last 50 years. So I think we have to bring consciousness to that process and, and bring an understanding of what impact we have. Gerard has a deep connection to the land he farms. But in Ireland today, this kind of connection is rare. Now that our landscapes are tamed and highly managed, there are fewer opportunities to experience the joy and wonder of wild nature. Seeing an eagle or an owl fly overhead, watching an otter and its pups playing on a riverbank, walking through fields, filled with wild orchids. People love natural places because we evolved within these ecological systems. So it shouldn't be surprising that spending time in nature is good for us, physically as well as mentally and emotionally. I went to meet Joanne Hanrahan, a psychotherapist in County Clare, to find out more about how spending time in nature helps regulate our nervous system. So strolling out here, we're looking at the sea, there's birdsong. This is just beautiful. Mm. And straight away, both of us are relaxing a little bit more yeah. than when you're... Yeah, so focused in a chair. You are, I, like I'm noticing my feet as I walk along. I can hear things. You know, I'm noticing that threshold as we stepped out. Um, so now, the senses are enlivened. You have a good understanding of how that impacts on our brain and our mm. body. Okay, so what can be happening is your nervous system is coming to more ease. Okay, so. You know, we, if we allow ourselves, if we can come out of our heads for a little while, we'll notice, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just breathing a bit easier. Or I can feel my shoulders dropping or I'm noticing the sponginess of the grass here. And in that, there's a, there's a sense of kind of landing a bit. Just 15 to 20 minutes of simply being in nature, connecting with it through the senses of sight, hearing, smell and touch is found to significantly lower blood pressure, pulse rate and cortisol distress hormone. And I wanted to know about recent discoveries in neuroscience as well as what psychotherapists like Joanne have experienced when they combine nature with psychotherapy. As we were coming down the hill there, I was noticing that little hawthorn tree in the yeah. wind. Yeah. And I was kind of distracted, but I think at the same time, I'm almost hearing you more. So our focus now is different to the normal cognitive focus. The soft fascination is around watching movement, watching different colours of green, the way the light is shining on, on those nombretia. Um, our brain is working and our nervous system is working in a different capacity. It's bringing a bit more ease, a bit more flow. There's rhythm. 
And rhythm is also useful and helpful for our nervous system uh, to, to have rest and ease in it. Mm. Um, so anything that's kind of drawing our attention to something moving or easy or breezy and just actually notice what just happened there. I remember walking with somebody one day um, and it was in a session and this woman uh, was living with cancer and she'd had a grandchild had just been born with a disability and she was always in her head and there was lots of problems. But we walked in silence for a little while and it was a windy day. When we got to the end of our silent bit and we sat down, she said to me, did you hear the birds? In this wind, they're still singing. And that was really important for her. And it actually it moves me even when I remember it because for her, it was that symbolism of in this wind, despite everything, they're still singing, which was really reflected her situation, that she could still manage, you know, the, that she could still find hope or positivity in the midst of all the difficulty. So I think if we just give ourselves time to, to notice we're actually, we're in a different place then, it feels more hopeful. There is mounting evidence that nature is at the heart of our psychological well-being. And this has enormous repercussions for the health of our human societies, as well as the health of the natural world. Do you think then that there are bigger implications to that and the fact that so many of us live our lives indoors so much of the time. And we are facing these crises of biodiversity loss and climate chaos. Many of us are so disconnected from the natural world. Um, and therefore, I think we have uh, globally made unconscious, pushed down, disconnected from what's happening to the planet. Um, because it's easier that way. You're not connected with any pain or distress if you don't actually connect with what might be happening. Um, but I think in part what is happening to the planet is because we have disconnected. We're so distracted. clear from all the explorations so far that we in Ireland have a deep connection with nature that's reflected in our culture right through history. It's also becoming clear that as humans we have a biological need for connecting with nature. But as Joanne says, we're all so distracted. So is there a way that culture can evolve in response to the connected crisis of our dysfunctional relationship with nature? and the collapse of ecosystems all around us. You know, there are natural limits in the natural world, and, and, and in some ways we have allowed ourselves to live an unlimited life of economic growth, of 
allowing ourselves to sprawl over the natural world as, as, as you know, to do whatever we want to it. And I think by ceding the control to wild species and pulling back from that mindset and having, to a certain extent, all of us having a little bit of an ecological mindset inside our brains, that we could create an Ireland that is pulsating with life. Throughout these three episodes of Ireland's changing nature, I've realised just how much people have shaped the landscapes of Ireland. And culture has shaped the attitudes of people who live here. So it's culture that will shape the future of nature in Ireland. If we are to have any chance of changing the destructive course we are speeding along on, we must begin to see anew and think anew. Poets can touch into a collective unconscious, a collective love, a collective caring, a collective desire for change. That's not just about something intellectual. It is where maybe heart and soul meet. I went to meet poet Jane Clark in a gorgeous woodland in Wicklow on a sunny day. I wanted to explore with Jane the role of culture in shaping the fate of wild nature. Up until this, we could always blame somebody else. You know, it was the, the forest, you know, cut after, you know, in the, 15, in the 1600s. It was, you know, the famine. It was the colonizer. But we can't blame anybody else now. And so I wonder, is it that people don't know? I don't think it could be that they don't care. I really don't think it could be that. But there's something about the connection between what is happening to rivers and what that means for us, that connection isn't being made strongly enough yet. And what do you think is the role for culture, for whether it's writers or poets or film or media, to help bridge that gap? Anybody who's writing out of, about nature or metaphor, using nature metaphors or whatever at the moment, it is inherently political because of what is happening. I mean, what's happening to the curlew, what's happening to the lapwing, that's as we speak. So it can't but be political. And I, I do believe that poets and writers and then photographers and painters and, you know, um, sculptors have a role in connecting us to the feeling about that loss. But it won't be by um, poets writing polemical poems. It won't be. They can't be, you know, shouting at people, this is what you have to see and this is what you have to think. It's just much more subtle. But out of that subtlety, uh, something very powerful about connecting people's hearts and their souls to, to what's been lost, to what we still have. But also, and, and I think this is the more difficult one, to imagining the future to providing some sense of hope. Because all the activists I hear talking about it say we need hope. And so I think that's one of the things that anybody in the cultural world can offer.
conversation with Jane echoes something I've come to realise in the making of this series about Ireland's changing nature, that a major cultural shift is needed, a reawakening of our interdependence with the natural world, a transformation akin to the cultural shift we have undergone in Ireland in relation to women's rights, marriage equality, movements which have framed new ways of seeing things. One of those new ways of seeing things, of awakening awareness, is an approach known as rewilding. Rewilding is about letting nature lead the way. Rather than humans controlling every aspect of a landscape, often in conflict with wild plants and animals, there is a growing recognition that we can help nurture the bounty of nature. Going out into the Scottish Highlands, I saw the last few remnants of the Caledonian forest, the native pine woods of the Highlands, uh, consisting only of old trees, dying of old age, and no new life taking their place. Alan Watson Featherstone has been at the forefront of a movement to restore the native Caledonian forest to the Scottish Highlands. And at the time, I had no experience, no skills, no training, but I had this passion and I had this deep connection of the land and feeling I need to respond somehow. So that's how it began. Restoring woodlands to landscapes where they have been absent for decades is a process that takes a long time. But when nature takes hold, a chain of natural reactions are set in motion that can be a wonder to witness. The first and most important thing that happens is the process of ecological succession starts to take place again. When we reduce the grazing pressure or we put up a fence to exclude the herbivores, heather begins to grow instead of the grass everywhere. And then through the heather we get the pioneer species appearing of trees. Those are things like birch, rowan, willow, aspen and so forth. They bring up nutrients from the soil through their roots and they're all deciduous and they deposit leaves on the surface of the ground every autumn and those nutrients then become available for other organisms. And when the insects are there, the birds that eat them appear, the insectivorous birds come. And those birds often eat seeds as well and the seeds germinate in their droppings. And you begin to get this reweaving of the web of life, the strands that we've severed in the past begin to re-establish. So the whole fabric of the ecosystem begins to recover. There are many places in Ireland where ecological restoration could be undertaken on a landscape scale, like what's currently underway in parts of the Scottish Highlands. So trees have grown, insects have come back, birds have recovered. We've now got beavers re-established in Scotland, wild boar have escaped and now are part of the ecosystem. We've got birds of prey, we've got the sea eagle successfully re returned, we've got red kites, ospreys have come back by themselves. There's a lot of success stories showing what is possible when we choose to work with nature and that we can pass on to our children 
a planet that is richer and more diverse than the depleted one that we've inherited from the past. Reinstating native woodlands in some of Ireland's upland areas would have enormous ecological benefits and could really help re-knit our connectedness to wild nature, as well as restoring so many species that are on the brink of extinction, from wild bees to big birds of prey, such as the eagles our ancestors so revered. The knock-on effects throughout the landscape would be enormous. And this is a movement that everyone can be part of. One of the arguments that has always been used uh, in conservation over the last three decades is that protecting nature is against rural communities and has been anti-people. And therefore, nature has more or less lost out every time. Now, we see rural decline anyway, and we see farming incomes drop, and we see all these terrible things happening in communities anyway. So I'm wondering, could rewilding be the magic key to both restoring ecosystems and bringing people back. Many aspects of rewilding are controversial. People are afraid that ways of life will be erased and people will be excluded. But in essence, rewilding is about restoring ecosystems, restoring some balance between people and nature and giving species and habitats the space they need to recover, to thrive even. The magic about rewilding is that it encapsulates this idea of reconnecting ourselves with nature. So it's not just about bringing wild nature back to a landscape, it's bringing ourselves back to wild nature and re-knitting these connections that we've lost. So to me, that's what rewilding is about. Rewilding projects right across Europe have unleashed powerful momentum for a new approach to managing landscapes. This is different to what has gone before, as it's about implementing a vision for a positive future in which people are working with natural processes. It's about respect rather than dominance. And it's the perfect antidote to the despair that comes with acknowledging the scale of loss we're facing into. My vision is that people in, let's say, a hundred years' time will be immersed in nature. Whether you live in a city, whether you live in a farm, whether you live in a town, whether you live on the coast, nature will be everywhere. It's not something you're going to, you'd have to go out and look for, that you wouldn't, you wouldn't have to get in your car and travel across the, the country to see it or experience it. You wouldn't have to go to another country to see it. It'll be there on your doorstep. We stand to gain so much by tapping into what Jane so eloquently describes as a collective desire for change. So much to gain in healing our frayed relationship with nature and restoring wild places. There has been come a kind of a, 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 an environmental segregation in a lot of parts of our cities. But we have to, rewilding would include those areas, would bring what would be effects turning turning our trees into our, our cities into almost like urban forests. 
The other thing is our, our rivers in our cities should be full of fish. They should be clean places. You could, you know, and instead our cities are absolutely foul. And uh, and even across our coast, we forget that a lot of our cities in Ireland are coastal marine cities. Uh, so we could be having marine protected areas along all of our cities uh, where we have abundant fish life, great places to snorkel, great places to go angling and boating and kayaking and all these wonderful things. Looking back to the stories of the past offers us some insight into how Irish cultures have revered nature, feared and respected the land. Looking to the future, the challenge now is to heal our ruptured relationship with nature. You have to love something in order to mind it and care for it and decide to sacrifice yourself for it. And I think rewilding asks of us to uh, re-entangle ourselves with nature, spend time in nature, however small a patch of nature that might be, be it someone living in inner city Cork, uh, admiring or observing a tree that is, is com you know, owned by everyone, to someone who's lucky enough to own land in the west of Ireland. But you fundamentally, it has to come from the beat of your heart, the kind of sense of of falling in love with what nature has to offer instead of wanting to control it and manage it and cut it or enforce it, but actually standing back and deciding to allow species to, to live the way they want to live. After all, that's the standard we expect of ourselves from the world. And once you do that, I think you'll find that the natural world will give back in heaps to you. And also it is only through love that we are going to be able to make sure that not only we, we hold on to what we have, but we also enhance and restore what we currently don't have in Ireland, that we bring back those missing sounds, those missing species. This series has explored the way our human relationship with nature has changed through time from the early hunter-gatherers who lived alongside enormous brown bears right up to the present day. We've seen how waves of colonists from the first farmers in the Neolithic period up to the Cromwellian plantations have each brought with them a new set of values and new behaviour and attitudes towards the natural world. Now our culture treats nature purely as another utility a resource to be exploited, regardless of the extent of loss this brings to us and future generations. But there is an awakening, a collective desire for change. In an era of climate and ecological breakdown, we are beginning to fall in love with nature again, to open our eyes to the possibilities of a different approach. We must begin to understand once again the need to always give back to the land that a healthy society depends on a reciprocal relationship with nature. Putting this into action means adopting new stories, a new culture of love and respect to guide us. In imagining a new relationship with the natural world, we might begin to chart a viable future.
that third and final episode in the series Ireland's Changing Nature was produced, written and narrated by Anya Murray. The research was by Lenny Antonelli, original music was by Kevin Murphy and the sound design and mixing were by Julian Clancy.